Good evening. Today is Good Friday, the second of the three sacred days of Holy Week. As we continue our journey with Jesus, today we follow Christ from the upper room into the Garden of Gethsemane and eventually to the place called Golgotha, to the cross. Tonight, this service is unique in that it attempts to mirror the darkness of what happened on this day long ago. Known as a tenebrae service, this is an ancient Holy Week devotion which began in the 7th or 8th century, possibly even earlier. The name tenebrae means shadows, and that name comes from the way this service is conducted. This service takes its name from the ceremony of extinguishing in succession all the lights in the worship space, casting it into total darkness. And this is symbolic of the disciples' desertion of our Lord, as well as of Christ's death and burial. Tonight, the purpose of the Tenebrae service is to aid us in realizing the total impact of the darkest day in the history of the world, the day Jesus died on the cross. Our worship together will be marked mostly by silent reflection. We will listen to scripture readings. There will be a meditation based upon those scripture readings that recount what happened long ago. There will also be music, singing, and we encourage you to join in. But you will notice the songs we sing today are more subdued, more introspective. That is intentional. This service will also end in silence without a benediction. Now, let us begin. Will you pray with me? Almighty Father, as we hear your word today and reflect on your cross, Look with your loving kindness upon we, your children, for whom through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you were willing to be betrayed, denied, mocked, condemned, and even die. Forgive us, Father, for we don't know what we're doing. Assure us yet again that we will be with you in paradise. Meet us, O God, in the darkness and the silence of your death your death for us. Amen. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul? What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for 
for my soul. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing God's love for me. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly.
Jesus began mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy! Who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips.
assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they had asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Stricken 
seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. 
Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us! For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others? Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise.
This is a key phrase found repeatedly in the pages of our Bibles, specifically in the letters of the New Testament. Christ has died for us. This statement is one of the cornerstones of our faith, out of which everything we believe derives. Christ has died for us. On Good Friday, we remember this is also a historical reality, a moment in time at which all life all creation pivoted toward a final destination yet unknown. As the creator of everything bleeds, barely breathes and begins to expire, as the great I am inches ever closer to becoming the I was, as God in Christ willingly dies for the sake of all the world and everything fades to black, is this our final end? Or is this in the innocent and cruel suffering of this one named Jesus, in the last dying gasp of the crucified God who became one of us, is this strangely, unimaginably, impossibly our last best hope. Christ has died for us. On April 10th, 2020, this Good Friday, in the thick of a global pandemic, a virus that has attacked the very way we live our lives, the way we meet and interact socially, the manner in which we go about our education and businesses, how we celebrate the very milestones of our existence. And then of course, even more significantly, this virus threatens, already has infected, and regretfully has taken lives we hold precious and dear. My friends, this year, this time, as we find ourselves at the foot of the cross, our perspective is different, is it not? The grief, the loss, the isolation, the pain, the death that surround Jesus are more real to us, more visceral, much closer to home than they have ever 
been before. We don't have to theatrically darken our sanctuaries this time around to set the tone or mood for Good Friday because darkness is all around us, uninvited, but there just the same. We do not need to light candles and blow them out to commemorate how Christ's life was snuffed out this day. We don't have to do that because we can palpably sense the shadow of death as it hangs even now over the light of our lives. Ask yourself, how many have already been laboring to carry the cross of another, to tend to someone who is infected and sick, How many, how many doctors and nurses are already tired, tired of rationing the use of life-saving equipment, of wrestling with the devil's choice, of deciding who gets to live and who doesn't? Ask yourself, how many, how many already lament not being allowed in the hospital while a family member or a friend needs medical attention, has surgery or worse? hovers somewhere between life and death. How many? How many around the world already mourn the loss of a loved one due to COVID-19 and are having to wait, to wait, to tend to their loved one's body until another day? How many of those who were already living on the economic edge are now languishing, languishing before the loss of hours, of their job, even as the rent and the bills come due, even as there is no more food left to be put on the table. What is happening right now? What is happening right now is attacking all of us. Whereas before our differences were magnified, differences of race, of gender, of age, education, or economics, this virus is immune to such differences. The truth is, beloved, we've all been infected in some way by the coronavirus, rich or poor, famous or infamous, powerful or weak. I mean, we can't yet realize the extent of the damage that has been done, the human toll our social isolation is taking on our bodies, minds, and spirits. As with any great trauma, we won't really know how bad we've been hit for years to come. And so here we are. Here we are together. Hearts breaking worldwide, united in our both our grief and in our sense of loss. Here we are at the foot of the cross and our collective humanity is exposed in all of its vulnerability. All of our prior posturing that we can help ourselves, that when trouble comes, we can work things out all on our own has been revealed in this moment, this global moment, it has been revealed to be wishful thinking at best and arrogantly presumptuous at worst. Here we stand at the foot of the cross, whether this is where we want it to be or not, and we look up and we see the truth. The truth we deny, the truth we betray, the truth we mock and ridicule, the truth we lash out against and beat down, the truth we string up and try to crucify the life out of, the truth of the death sentence we cannot avoid, the truth of the expiration date we fear not knowing, the truth of our mortality 
that no earthly vaccine can overcome. Our creator, through the word, his word that he offers to us is clear. Apart from the God who gives us life, we're dead already, living on borrowed time that we can't control. We're not injured, we're not dirty, we're dead. We're dead. And I know this offends so many of us because we can become so proud of the lives we construct, right? I mean, as we exhaust ourselves trying to gain or prove or establish ourselves, it's as if we've convinced ourselves that our lives, some, somehow these lives that we had no part in creating, and honestly, these lives that we have little part in sustaining, it's as if we've convinced ourselves that these lives we have been given somehow belong to us. But now we see our lives are not our own. Now we see, apart from God, all human life ends tragically. Why do I say this? Apart from God, all human life ends tragically because we were not created for death. We were created to live. And we can play God all we want, but try as we may to live, to fully, truly, forever exist. God, apart from God, our lives still end prematurely. I mean, the cross by itself is a cold, hard reminder that we're dead either way. My friends, it is the one who hangs on the cross that changes everything. Christ has died for us. What we witness today is something unexpected, something undeserved, something more unprecedented than all we are facing right now, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, death is nothing new to us. We've talked about this. Death we live with every day. We're living with it now. But on this day, the reason we call this Friday of all others good, our creator does more than give us his word. The word become flesh purposely embraces our death. God in the person of Jesus Christ willingly endures a death he did not create a death that is but a consequence born of our separation from him. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, bears the sin of the world, all the brokenness of creation, everything that is wrong in us, with us, and between us. I mean, as stripped and stricken, as smitten and afflicted, as naked and disoriented, we all feel in this wilderness moment, this exile born of COVID-19, Hear this, our suffering is his suffering. Our isolation is his isolation. Our death becomes his death. God in the person of Jesus Christ freely sacrifices all of himself to reestablish the kingdom he prepared for all of his children from the beginning of all creation. A kingdom without suffering or crying or mourning, or pain, a kingdom where every tear shall be washed away and death will be no more. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, not only teaches us and calls us to follow the greatest commandment, here on the cross, he shows us what the law of love looks like when put into practice. More than this, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, reveals to us here on the cross that love like this 
love like his has no limitations. We see here there is no distance God will not bridge to get to us. We see when we look up at the cross that our creator will go as far as it takes to love us into the life he intended for us. And we see here as we look up on the cross that nothing, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from this love of God in Jesus Christ. The reach of the ever-loving arms of Jesus from the cross are infinitely wide and deep. Breathe that in. You know, it's easy to ignore death when we're young or when we're in good health, but what we're facing together now will not allow us to live in ignorance anymore. We are all vulnerable. We see that now, don't we? We are all going to die one day. We just don't know when. It is the one who hangs on the cross, this one called Jesus, who reveals the grace of God, the grace that we choose which death we die. And I wanna ask you tonight, which death will you choose? Which death will you choose? Will you choose the death born of our sin? The death that comes from a life lived apart from God? Or will we choose the death offered to us by Christ? The death, his death, that undoes, undoes the death we fear, the death to self, the death to our own kingdoms of control. Because you see, it's only when we choose to die with Christ that we truly live. My friends, I'll say it one more time. Christ has died for us. This is the confession of our faith. This is part of the foundation from which everything we believe derives. That we are broken. That we are sinners, liars, traitors, thieves, and murderers all. That we are lost. That we are helpless. That we are helpless but not hopeless. That we are forgiven. That we can be healed. That we have been justified, that grace is real, but not without cost, and that we are loved more than life itself, and this life that we can now live by faith in the Son of God who died for us is the life that will endure forever. Amen. It was now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Were you there when they crucified?
to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? To tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they pierced him? side were you there when they pierced him in the side oh sometimes it causes me to tremble Tremble, tremble. Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? To tremble, tremble.
全。